Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1. Ye shall make you no idols, neither shall ye rear you up a graven image or a pillar, neither shall ye place any figured stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Pillars are pagan. They usually have to do with sexual perversion, and pagan rituals include temple prostitutes. They have a lot of sexual type looking idols. And then the figured stone is a stone that's carved. And God told the Israelites, don't carve stones. I think they can carve them to make buildings, but that's all. They're not allowed to carve them to make idols, especially, but also not even to make the altar. Two, ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Three, if ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them. Four, then I will give your reins in the season, and the land shall yield her produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. This is a conditional promise, and there are a lot of conditional promises in the Bible, and a lot of times Christians like to quote the promise part of the verse, but they don't quote the condition of the promise. For instance, one of the famous verses that a lot of Christians quote every day is, in Jeremiah where it says, I know the plans I have for you. But that also is a conditional promise. If you read the entire passage, it's telling them that they have to follow him, and then he will have a good plan for their life. The important thing about God's promises to us is they're usually conditional. Now, his love is not conditional, but his promises are. We always have to obey him. And what a lot of Christians today don't understand, because they're usually only hearing half of the verse, or the verse that came after the condition, is they think that they can receive all the promises without obedience. But when we read the Bible, it's always on the condition of obedience. We shouldn't be surprised if our lives are in turmoil and chaos and destruction and we're in sin. But it surprises a lot of Christians and it makes them angry at God because they didn't realize there was conditions. So that's why we need to read the Bible. If they obey him, he will give them rain and crops and all that stuff. 5. And your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. And ye shall eat your bread until ye have enough, and dwell in your land safely. That means you won't have to face war. Nobody will come and attack you. You'll have more than enough bread. He's also saying that you will be able to thresh wheat until the vintage of the grapes comes. There won't be a gap in between, and you'll be able to get the vintage from the grapes until you can sow, until you can plant again. He's saying there won't be gaps in between your food supplies. That's pretty awesome. Six, and I will give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid, and I will cause evil beasts to cease out of the land. Neither shall the sword go through your land. Lions and tigers and rhinos will stay off of their land and not come and attack them, and there won't be wolves eating them. And going all the way back into antiquity, not only in the Bible, but in other ancient documents, it always says that when a city is cursed or when a land is cursed, then the wild animals come in and attack people there. And you can actually see that happening today. There's lots of reports of wolves and bears showing up in, in cities. That's a sign that God has cursed those places. 7. And ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. You will chase your enemies out of the land, and they won't come and attack you. 8. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. 
in the Old Testament. We see it in Joshua's time and in King David's time that the Israelites were feared and that they were able to, like one Israelite fighter could kill hundreds of Philistines or enemies of whatever kind. So this actually came true. When they obeyed the Lord, they always were able to conquer their enemies very, very easily. He made their enemies weak. And then when they didn't obey the Lord, he made their enemies strong and he made their enemies come and attack them. And this happens in our own lives today. When we're obeying the Lord, we can pray in confidence and know that our prayers will get answered and that the demons will be cast out of our life and the demons won't be able to torment us. And we don't have to be afraid if somebody threatens us at work. We know we aren't going to lose our job because the Lord is going to keep us safe, even in the midst of somebody threatening. But when we're in disobedience, all kinds of terrible things can happen. We can lose relationships, lose jobs, lose our place in a church, all kinds of things. And I have seen this from personal experience. When I was in sin, tragedies and chaos came my way. And when I was obeying the Lord, then even when people threatened me, which usually happened in the workplace, I remained and they're the ones who left. 9. And I will have respect unto you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and will establish my covenant with you. Even if you're not fruitful in having your own physical kids, you can be fruitful in sharing the gospel. There's a biological fruitfulness, but there's also a spiritual fruitfulness, and that's what we should strive for. And the Apostle Paul, he never had kids, but because of his life, billions of people have come to Christ because they've read the Bible and read all of his letters in the Bible. He has a lot of spiritual fruit. 10. And ye shall eat old store long kept, and ye shall bring forth the old from before the new. What we put up in storage, our canning, it will last for a very long time. 11. And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. 12. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked with Enoch, and he actually took Enoch up to heaven without Enoch dying. When we're in obedience, he does walk with us. 13. I am the Lord your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt. Egypt means sin. God took me out of Egypt because he took me out of a life of sin, that you should not be their bondman, that I would not be a slave to sin. And I have broken the bars of your yoke. He broke the bondage of sin in my life and made you go upright and made me walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean I'm perfect, but Jesus is in me. I will never go back to the old lifestyle. And I actually care about people now. I thought I was a nice person before I got saved, but now I genuinely love people. And it's really changed my behaviors and my outlook. A lot of times I'm not afraid to talk to people and tell them my testimony. Even if it looks on the outside like they would be offended by me, I still have the boldness to go and talk to them. Why? It's because Jesus in me loves them that much. Jesus isn't afraid to approach people, so Jesus in me enables me to not be afraid to approach people. 14. But if ye will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, if they don't obey him, they get cursed. So now God is going to tell them. 15. And if ye shall reject my statutes, and if your soul abhor my ordinances, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, So he's talking about sin. 16. I also will do this unto you. So here's the condition if we don't obey. I will appoint terror over you, even consumption and fever, that shall make the eyes to fail, and the soul to languish. And ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Doesn't that sound like what's going on in a lot of churches today? 
They're afraid of the world. You know, they're afraid of COVID. They're afraid of somebody coming in to shoot them during their service. They have all this terror. They're afraid for their health, even consumption and fever. Consumption is like wasting away and fever is like, like, like a virus that shall make the eyes to fill. They're blind. They're spiritually blind because they won't read God's law and follow it. They just think listening to the sermon each week is good enough. And sermons have very little of the actual scripture in them, in case you haven't noticed. But people won't read the Bible. They don't know God's laws. And then they become spiritually blind. And the soul to languish. The soul languishes when we live in sin. Sin skews our view of God, our view of other people, our view of ourselves. And it can actually cause mental illness. And ye shall sow your seed in vain. That means that what we plant will never grow. For your enemies shall eat it. If you sow a seed, your enemies will get the benefit from it instead of you. And our enemies in the spirit are the demons. Sometimes if we're living in deep sin and we try to share the gospel with somebody, like we try to say, oh, Jesus loves you or something, it just falls on deaf ears. And then the demons can come and talk to that person and say, oh, you know, that so-and-so is just a fake. They don't really care about you, so don't listen to them. That's an example of how it can work in the spirit when we're in sin. 17, and I will set my face against you and ye shall be smitten before your enemies. That means you'll be slaughtered. And they that hate you shall rule over you, and ye shall flee when none pursueth you. You'll run even when nobody's chasing you. If we read it from a spiritual perspective, it's very true. The enemies of our life are demons. When we're in willful sin, the demons destroy our lives. They break our relationships. They break up our marriages. Parents lose children. We can lose jobs when we're in sin. We can get in trouble with the law. All kinds of horrible things can happen because these demons are attacking our lives because of our sin. And they rule over us because they drag us around by a hook in the nose. And they're like, well, you got to have money and power. You have to have the best career and all this kind of stuff. And they make us feel so needy. And then we're so desperate and we're willing to do anything to get our needs met. And that's just a demon dragging you by a hook in the nose. That's how our enemies have control over us. 18. And if ye will not yet for these things hearken unto me, then I will chastise you seven times more for your sins. The Bible says in the New Testament that the Lord chastises those whom he loves. And chastisement is like when a parent punishes a child to make the child obey. God will punish us to get us back on the narrow track. And this happened to me as well. God took things away from me when I was in sin to wake me up to the spiritual danger that I was in so that I would repent. Don't be surprised if God chastises you in your sin, but do know he's doing it because he loves you and he wants you to go to heaven. 19. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. Our sky is so beautiful, but imagine if it was iron instead of a beautiful blue sky. And imagine if you had to stand on brass instead of the grass. He's saying, I will let you experience hell on earth if you don't obey me. And again, it isn't because he hates us, it's because he loves us. He wants us to feel his wrath when we still have a chance to repent in this life. The punishment we get here is temporary. We can withstand it, but we won't be able to withstand hell. God doesn't want us to go there, so it's better for him and us if he chastises us now. 20. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her produce, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. 
21. And if ye walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. And you know, seven is the number of completion. He'll let us have seven times more plagues. And again, it's to correct us. Did you know that the great tribulation is to correct the world? It's not because God hates the world, but because some people are so evil and so stubborn in their sin that they're going to have to go through the tribulation before they're willing to repent. He's already tried to correct them in this life, and they're so stubborn. When they went to jail, when they lost their wife, when they lost their job, it wasn't enough. They still were stubborn in their sin. When the great tribulation comes, it'll be so horrific that they'll finally wake up and they'll be like, oh, I need to repent. This is horrible. I don't want to go to hell. And people will repent during the tribulation. Not everybody. Most of them won't. But there is a small group of people who will repent. And you'll notice there's seven bowls of wrath in the great tribulation. This verse is prophesying that in part. 22, And I will send the beast of the field among you, which shall rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number, and your ways shall become desolate. These curses are in the physical realm. God is saying the beasts are going to come and eat your sheep, and they're going to kill your kids out in the field. But in the spiritual realm, the beasts are the demons, and they do come and rob us of our children. If we live in sin, then our children fall into spiritual pits, and the demons have control over them. 23. And if in spite of these things ye will not be corrected unto me, but will walk contrary to me. God says, even when you resist my correction, and I punish you, and you still won't stop sinning. 24. Then will I also walk contrary unto you, and I will smite you, even I, seven times for your sins. Again, he'll just keep punishing and keep punishing. It's because he wants to forgive, and he knows that some people are that stubborn. 25. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute the vengeance of the covenant, and ye shall be gathered together within your cities, and I will send the pestilence among you, and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. We see that today. People who don't want to live in the city are being made to live in the city against their will. This is happening in California, and it's happening in other places where they're not allowed to live in the country because they won't let them have water and electricity in the country, forcing people into the city. This is a curse from the Lord. 26. When I break your staff of bread, ten women shall make your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver your bread again by weight, and ye shall eat and not be satisfied. He's talking about famine. In a city, it would take hundreds of women to make enough bread for everybody. But he says 10 women are going to make bread and they'll have to measure it out by weight. So everybody will just get a teeny weeny portion. In good times, it would be hundreds of women and dozens of ovens. 27. And if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me. 28. Then I will walk contrary unto you in fury, and I also will chastise you seven times for your sins. He keeps repeating this. This is almost like a song where the chorus keeps getting repeated, because this is the third time we've read it in this chapter, that he will chastise them for their sins. I'm curious if it's going to end up being seven times. He's repeating it so that they'll remember. 29. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. This did happen in Israel. I think it might have been in Jerusalem when there was a siege in Jerusalem. But anyway, there was a couple of times where people were starving so much that they actually did eat their kids. That's how hungry they were. 30. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your sun pillars and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. The pagans always like to 
worship on a hill, and that's what's called the high places. And they worshiped the sun. When we read in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we learned how unimportant the sun is. God gave us light before he made the sun. He gave us day before he made the sun. And he caused the plants to grow all before he made the sun to show us that we are not dependent on the sun for life. The sun is not the giver of life like the scientists and your teachers told you in school. It isn't true. Life comes from God, not the sun. And the sun is not the giver of light or day. We had light and we had day before the sun. The sun is just the closest thing to our eyes. And so when we see the light of the sun, it's an optical illusion. We think all the light is coming from there. But the light behind the sun is God. That's where the real light source is. But we get focused on what's close in front of us. It's like if a doctor shines a light into your pupil. You'll only see the light even though there's a overhead ceiling light above his head behind the little tiny flashlight. But you're only going to see the little flashlight that's in your pupil because it's in the forefront. And that's the way it is with us and the sun. But the pagans think the sun is everything. They think that the sun is the only light and that it delivers life to them, which is completely false. So he's going to tear down the sun pillars and he's going to make their pagan priests a sacrifice on the pagan altar. So he will kill the priest and put the priest on the altar. 31. And I will make your cities a waste, and will bring your sanctuaries unto desolation, and I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. So what he means is when you put a sacrifice on the altar, I'm not going to smell it. I'm not going to pay any attention to it because of your sin. When we give God sacrifices of, say, our time in church, or participating in a ministry, or tithing money, if we're in willful sin, God doesn't notice that sacrifice at all. It gives us no brownie points with him. And that's why King David wrote, you prefer obedience over sacrifice. 32. And I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies that dwell therein shall be astonished at it. Even our enemies will be surprised at how God curses us. 33. And you will I scatter among the nations, and I will draw out the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. 34. Then shall the land be paid her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate, and ye are in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest and repay her Sabbaths. He had given them a command. He said, every seven years you have to let the land rest, and then on the fiftieth year you have to give it another rest. And he said, if you don't obey my law and allow this land to rest and refrain from sin, then I'm going to cast you out of the land, and then all the Sabbaths will be collected at one time. Say you don't obey me for a hundred years, you'll be cast out for 16 years, and the land will get all of the 16 Sabbaths one in a row, back to back. 35. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall have rest, even the rest which it had not in your Sabbaths, when ye dwelt upon it. 36. And as for them that are left of you, I will send a faintness into their heart in the lands of their enemies, and the sound of a driven leaf shall chase them, and they shall flee as one fleeth from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursueth. They will be so afraid that if a leaf falls from a tree, they'll scatter and run, and they'll be constantly running from place to place when no one's pursuing them. I've known two people in the last couple of years who actually lived this way. They were constantly moving from city to city all across the U.S., and they were afraid of their enemies, and they didn't even have any enemies. 
they were living like this and both of them were in sin. And because of it, they had this delusion that people were after them and they kept running from city to city and never having any rest. 37, and they shall stumble one upon another, as it were before the sword, when none pursueth, and ye shall have no power to stand before your enemies. That means that you'll fall even before your enemies attack you. There are stories in, that we're going to come to in King David's time and in Joshua's time, where a lot of times when the Israelites were obeying the Lord and they went out to battle, their enemies just scattered and fell without even being attacked. Um, but God will make this happen to us if we're in sin. We'll scatter and fall when we're not attacked. 38. And ye shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. 39. And they that are left of you shall pine away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, and also in the iniquities of their fathers shall they pine away with them. Now, didn't we see this in the diaspora where the Jews were scattered all over the world? And they pined away in foreign lands. In Germany, they even got put in concentration camps. So it was really bad. And that was because of their sin. They would not accept their Messiah. They would not stop sinning. So God scattered them into foreign nations, and they suffered. They were persecuted. 40. And they shall confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery which they committed against me, and also that they have walked contrary unto me. 41. I also will walk contrary unto them, and bring them into the land of their enemies, if then perchance their uncircumcised heart be humbled. See how he's talking about an uncircumcised heart. Circumcision of the heart means that we have repented of our sins, and they then be paid the punishment of their iniquity. 42. Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land. If they circumcise their heart and they are humbled. Humbled means fasting. So if they repent and fast. 43. For the land shall lie forsaken without them, and shall be paid her Sabbaths, while she lie desolate without them, and they shall be paid the punishment of their iniquity, because even because they rejected mine ordinances, and their soul abhorred my statutes. 44. And yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, neither will I abhor them, to destroy them utterly, and to break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. Even when God scattered the Israelites and the Jews into foreign nations, he never forgot them, and he never stopped considering them his children. He said, You're my children forever. When you repent, I'll bring you back. 45. But I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Now, a lot of Jews have gone back to the homeland to Israel, but not all of them. There's still a bunch that are scattered, and there is a lot of sin being committed in Israel. And the people in charge of Israel, the leaders, they don't love Jesus. They're in sin because they won't recognize Jesus as their Messiah. So that's why Israel still has a lot of problems. But if Israel would recognize Jesus and totally repent, it would be the most awesome place in the world. 46. These are the statutes and ordinances and laws which the Lord made between him and the children of Israel in Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. All these chapters have been the laws, so God was talking to Moses for a long time, and Moses was repeating it to the people for a long time. And that concludes Leviticus chapter 26.